Well, how the dickens are you, Avery Rose? Hello, love. I'm still alive, just about. How are you? Well, you are as pale as a pale thing on National Women's yeah. Day. <laughs> yeah. I'm really sorry, Ross. So, um, basically, you'll have noticed that we haven't recorded the podcast for about six weeks, and that's because I've been either dying of some horrible virus or climbing a mountain with a horrible virus. And then I got better from the virus and then developed an ear infection, which perforated both of my eardrums. Oh, my God. So I'm also still, yeah, I'm also still quite deaf. So if you find that I'm like screaming at you, just let me know. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm not sure that being slightly deaf isn't an advantage to anyone speaking to me. I think that may be, that may be one of those conditions which friendship with me and deafness may be a good thing. <laughs> I don't I don't agree with that. But um yeah, so I, I am still a bit snotty and grotty, so I'm sorry if there's any kind of sneezing and coughing, but I was just so desperate to record and speak to you that I didn't want to put it off any longer. And I'm so keen to tell you all about my trip and I'm really, really excited for our subject matter today, which I think we're gonna have to like limit ourselves to three hours because I can just continue. Well, I think what we should do is we should have we should have a catch up, and I think we should dip our toe in the water of this subject, yeah. and probably towards the end of this, decide that there's an aspect of this subject that we need to do a special on. Okay, yeah, that I think, sounds good. I think we might, I think there might be aspects of this which themselves will uh, roll off in all directions. So yes, I agree with that. Um, my summer, I have to say, I have had a blast of a summer, um, and uh, I uh, my book sold out at the National Severed. That's and, amazing, well. And I recorded Radio Four's Pick of the Week in what could be described as challenging circumstances because I had no phone signal or means of charging a phone because I was literally in a field. However, however, all of this, all of this was good, and um. I did a thing I've never done before, which was enter my novel for the novel competition. And to sit in a big theatre where someone's about to talk about a book that you've written. Oh, God. You don't know what they're going to say is literally one of the most heart in the mouth experiences. I sat myself with some very good friends and um, should have had a drink, I think, before going, honestly. But... Um, although I didn't win. Honestly, when, when you said that, my palms started sweating. Yeah. In sympathy, it's just like the thought of it. And it's like, what are they going to say? Because, you know, it, it, if they come out and they're very nice, that's going to feel great. But if they come out and say, what a pile of steaming cow, Poo. that's not. <laughs> well, yeah, but the advantage. Which they wouldn't have done because but, you're brilliant. But the advantage is because the uh, competition is all done anonymously. The judges didn't know who I was. And they right. only referred to me by my um, fake name, my, my pseudonym. So I could wait until I heard what they said. And when they started to say some quite positive things about a, uh, a contributor whose name means Stone Chat, and I, I was able to say to my friends, I won Stone Chat. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. I wouldn't have been able to say, I wonder who that is. I was Stone Chat. Yeah, what this a loser. Absolute, what? Yeah. God, I wouldn't like to know that person. So but that was yeah. that was a really, and the um, the thing I was looking out for in the judges' um, comments more than anything was 
what one of the judges certainly said, said, this needs editing, but I would like to see an editor get a hold of this and publish it. So, Excellent, Mark, that's so, great. So, so that's, that's all, great. That was all, um, and it was it was just a very strange time. It was almost like yeah. I'm not the sort of person who, for whom things, huh, how can I say this? I'm not unlucky, but I've never been noted for my good luck. I absolutely sympathise and empathise with that because I, I completely relate to it, and that's the same. So, so does it almost feel like you're sort of talking about someone else's life? Yeah, well, when people were coming up to me and saying, our bookshop has sold out, can you get more copies? Um, and Or stopping me and saying, um, husband laughing so much that literally we can't sleep in the caravan. Your book oh, is... Yeah, 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 really, that's so great, but, but, it, but it doesn't feel like it's happening to me. It feels like uh, it's yeah. happening to another person whose bread never falls butter side yeah. down. But yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So that's my own my own particular. But brand it is happening to you. It is yeah, happening so to you, and that's so great. So that's and and this is the um this is the Welsh language version, yeah. This is the Welsh language version, but hopefully, hopefully, given the speed that it has sold. Yeah, can be, we can we have a? Uh, yeah, yeah. Can we have one for us? I think you'd like it because it, it's um it's about the world of horses so i think you particularly yeah. enjoy it well anyway. i mean i mean I, I loved your last i loved the, the last one bloody Sedford was just absolutely brilliant and i think I've, I've recommended it to everyone i've ever met now because i, I mean i just <laughs> loved it and i not because it's an extension of you and, and i love you you know it just really is a fantastic book and you can get that in english and you can get it on amazon so if you haven't um listeners get yourself into amazon bloody Sedford. it's really really great you'll love it it's time and money well spent. Go, go and read well, it. Well, thank you very much. So listen, right. you climbed a mountain. Tell yeah. us about that. It was incredible. So I, it, it was honestly the, the, the probably, well, it, definitely one of the most incredible experiences of my life. It was equal parts awe-inspiring and terrifying. And there, there were some things that went on. There were some shenanigans. And I think... We were prepared in terms of our fitness and our equipment. I, I think what was overwhelming was the sheer scale of the experience, which right. is, and I mean, so we climbed yeah. the, we climbed the Agrile de Tour. Um, mm. We also had designs on Mont Blanc, but the Agrile de Tour told us some home truths about right. exactly how hard climbing mountains is. It turns out it's really difficult. <laughs> Um, and also, I, we were both unwell, so I already had my horrible cough, which is why we couldn't record the week before I went. Yeah, because we should have done this episode months ago. Yeah, um, and and my partner had um, had developed a stomach upset, oh. so he was full of imodium, like from the oh point of getting on the plane. Yeah, horrific. So we weren't in good shape anyway. So to climb the mountain, we had to climb like another little mountain yep. to kind of get to it. So the process was that you climbed up to the glacier level, stayed the night in the mountain refuge, and I'll tell you about that. Uh, and then you go up to the summit the next day. So it's yeah. two days to go up and then you can choose whether to split it up into two days on the way down. But to be quite honest, by the end of the second day when we were coming down, we were so ready for hot running water <laughs> that I think right. I would have crawled over broken glass to get back right. to our apartment because, I mean, we, we smelled like mountain air in a bad yeah. way. And I just felt so unclean. Anyway, so we started off. So, from, and Shab so we climbed from Chamonix Town, which is amazing. Just go. It's gorgeous. It, it's the most unreal place. It's this real picturesque town, not very big. 
and it's just surrounded by great big mountains. It's in the right. Alps, so shocker. And, and you've just got glaciers everywhere. And everywhere you look, there's just something so staggeringly beautiful. And right. I live in a really pretty part of the southeast yeah. of England, but I'm looking around now like, it's a bit flat, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that one. that's not very dramatic. Anyway, so we, we settle and, and Shandy is full of like cable cars. Right. That take you up to the various points. So we started off in a cable car, which took us so far up the first bit of the mountain. And then we got onto a ski lift, which took us up some more. And then right. from there, we had a three hour hike up to the refuge. Right. It's a long way. OK, so yep. we got onto the ski lift with all our stuff. So we've got, you know, the our big B2 boots on and, and it was feeling really real. It was already quite cold up there and we had all our layers and everything. So I sat there on the ski lift and the ski lift took us into the cloud. Right. And wow. Then, and then the ski lift stopped. Oh, my God. In the cloud. Yeah. Oh, and we even sat there thinking, uh-huh. And we were maybe at this point, it was a high ski lift. So we were probably 80 to 100 metres above right. the mountain. Right. And between us, we had 60 metres of rope. Right. So I'm doing some calculations at this point. The wind has started to hit the ski lift. So we're right. bottling around quite a bit. And I was sat there. And it was one of those um, occasions where you just have to decide to be calm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to freak out. I'm just not going to freak out. And so we sat there for a while, not looking at anything because that we were in the cloud and, and it was so eerily quiet. And then it just started again. Right. Well, so I imagine the situation was that someone's gear had got stuck at the yeah. other end and they just had to yeah. get it off or whatever. Yeah. But it's not like they can tell you that. We couldn't no. see. The ground's no. a long way away. What do we do? Anyway, so up we get and you get off the ski lift. And, and from there, it was fairyland right it, it was the most there was this quite a small cow just sort of standing there looking at us which we walked past and then we go out and there's just this valley you can see the glacier off there with all the blue coming out of the glacier there were all the mountain flowers these lovely i was just gonna um, say were there lots of wildflowers i've got this lots of wildflowers the yellow and purple ones mm. and, and every now and again you'd have a little marshy area with those little sort of white snowdroppy type ones yeah. that come up and yeah. oh it was just so picturesque and then we started off up lovely mountain path and it wasn't too difficult to climb it's quite nice and sloping just around the outside of the mountain yeah we're kind of hugging the edge and it gets rockier and rockier and then it starts to get steeper and then we got level with the glacier and there was this rumble like like an airplane taking off oh and a, a, tons of ice tons of ice came free from the glacier and just went thundering down into the valley it was so incredible to wow. see really incredible to see I, I think that was my first um first realization that we were getting into something really quite real yeah, right, right. Because that, that was a massive avalanche. Yeah. Well, not avalanche, whatever you call it when a glacier bit comes away. A lot yeah. of ice went down. Yeah. Now, of course, that we weren't going to be climbing down there. But it, it was that reminder of the kind of environment that we're going into. Anyway, so we start then to be able to see the mountain refuge. We've been going for quite a long time. And you climb up a ridge and it gets steeper and steeper. And the ground by this point is frozen. I mean, it's cold up there. It's high. Yeah. And you think that coming up to the refuge, there's going to be a path or some kind of stairs. Yeah. No, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. So on this pile of rocks that it's kind of built on, someone has just sprayed red arrows. 
Right. And you follow those. Yeah, you follow those. And you are kind of hauling yourself up over rocks and just getting there whichever way you can. Got your walking poles, got your big rucksack. And then you're into the refuge, which is uh, the most incredible organization so you come into a, a square stone room which is quite big on the right hand side there's just a load of cubby holes where you stash your boots and your helmet nice. and your and your poles and you take from a big bucket just some crocs you keep your socks on <laughs> you right. find you find a pair of crocs but you can just leave your stuff there because the, no one's going to rob you right. you're all yeah. at high altitude yeah. like right and then you go up and check in at reception they've got all your details and they just give you a room number Right. And you go into a room where there are 10 bunks. Right. So you double, double, so like five bunk beds. So five right. on the bottom layer, five on the top. And you just bag two bunks. You've got your yeah. sleeping bag liner because I don't know how much they wash the sheets. So you go in your sleeping bag liner yeah. under everything. Um, and then you go into the main room, which was so warm. <laughs> it was so nice. And just had this amazing view out over the mountain. <clears throat> and, and they give you your dinner. Well, you pay through the nose for it actually they don't give it to you but they have so three course dinner you could buy a glass of beignet if you wanted which right. made me laugh because they had no showers but they had the real good plonk yes you know so it's like a case of priorities you know that. yes and then of course you know you go to bed early because to climb you, you start quite early depending on the size of the climb you you might even start at about 10 p.m at night depending on what time you want to summit right. Um, I grew to tour is a relatively small mountain. It's five thousand yeah. three thousand five hundred meters or something. So it's it's you know, it's not Everest. I won't take that long. Yeah. Um so we decided to get up around four, um, have breakfast and set off about five o'clock, which yeah. is what we did after having, of course, not slept. Right. Because <laughs> there's 10 people in the room with you, and also yeah. you're terrified <laughs> and excited. So then you go up and gear up in the morning and that's super exciting because everyone's getting ready, all the headlamps are going on, you're like checking crampons, ice axes, you can hear everyone talking about the conditions, about whether it's snowing, there are a lot of teams leaving around the time that we were. Uh, and then you start off and there are just some cairns built in the rocks that you follow uh, along. So you start off, it was snowing, it was very slippery. And you start off and, and you kind of walk over these rocks. And, and that took about half an hour until we got to the point where we could put crampons on and then rope up. And that's when the real alpine part of our adventure started. Um, and also alpine climbing, the idea is to do it with as few artificial aids as you can. So yeah. like crampons, ice axes are standard and, and you're roped up to another person, but it's not like himalayan climbing where you would have uh, a fixed line for example yeah. it's just you two yeah so or three or four however many are in the team yeah. and I, I think that that's what occurred to me quite quickly was that there was no longer any such thing as safety mm. that was gone the crevasses yeah. were everywhere beautiful but very deep mm. and you could see these cave formations and mm. the mountain and, and oh god it, it was just the most beautiful place i think i've ever been and so we start off, come over this first shoulder. I can see the route in my head. I wouldn't need a guide. I, I can see every part of it. And because we started so early, it, it started to get steeper and steeper and steeper until it was like this. And then I watched the sun hit the summit. Oh, fantastic. And turn the rocks red. Wow. And oh, it was just so gorgeous. And from being quite cold then, once the sun hits you on the mountain, it's then incredibly hot. Mm. So mm. I went from a point of thinking, oh, I, think, I don't think I've got enough on my feet to thinking I'm going to take off all of my clothes in a minute. <laughs> Super. Anyway, so then it got really, really not a turbo steep. 
not yeah. not a vertical wall or anything but it was about 70 80 degrees you couldn't walk up it you had to use your ice axe wow and, and your crampons and there yeah. were quite a lot of teams going at the same time and, and this is the part where I got frightened I did I, I got frightened um, I think that with the experience that I've had, and if anyone is going alpine climbing or any kind of climbing for the first time, my piece of advice would be, if there are lots of people trying to do something, just step off to the side, have mm. some of your energy bar and let them go. Yeah. Because on the way up, we ended up just kind of, well, I was in front and my partner was behind me and we ended up just kind of following the route that everyone else had gone. And when we were coming back down, it, I realised that that wasn't the best way. No, There was an easier way off to the left. Yeah. And if I just stopped and looked at it, I think I'd have seen that. Mm. Mm. But I didn't. Anyway, so we all went up this way. And, and what it does is it goes from a real steep bit, which isn't in any of the drone footage of this mountain, by the way. Right. So I was unprepared for this. Anyone that just tells you an alpine mountain is a long walk is full of it. Anyway, right. it goes from a really steep kind of ice and snow climb onto a scramble. So right. from this almost vertical wall, you've then got to get yourself onto a rock. Right. And start to haul yourself over rock and ice and snow. And, and it was very, very demanding. And I fell. And I, I fell quite away before I managed to self-arrest with the ice axe. Wow. And, and it really rattled me. It really, really rattled me. Yeah. So I got to top and had a little cry. Oh, and my partner, yeah, my partner was very, very good. And <clears throat> honestly, it wasn't that it ended up being a bad experience or anything, but I think I learned a great deal. And if you haven't been in that environment before, which I hadn't, mm. and we were going self-guided, you know, and I just, I just, um, it, it's not something you can really prep for without going. Yeah. And being there, right? So got to the top, had a little brief, got over myself. <laughs> Um, and I told all of that quite quickly but this process to get to that point we're talking about four hours yeah right because it's very very slow yeah it's amazing how slow it makes you with the weight you've got on and and even that altitude which is not mega no it's you know it's 10 steps yeah and a few breaths yeah and 10 steps if you're bearing in mind that my partner was full of emodium and I couldn't breathe anyway Yes. Because, right. So it was, anyway, so we carried on. So then everyone else, all the other teams went off right because I think they were on some kind of tour and we were the only ones then going to the summit that were in view. And we got round to the shoulder and we're looking up at it pretty much. It's right there. And there was just that little voice in my head that went, that's enough now. Right. And suddenly I didn't want it anymore. Interesting. And I thought, we've got to get down. Mm. I wanted to go the other way and chicken out of doing mm. that dropping, you know, of going down the scramble mm. that way. Mm. My partner, who's, who's a much cooler head and a braver person than I am, um, said, I need you to trust me. I've got a plan yeah. to get back down, but we have got to go the way that we came. Yeah. Um, and I did believe him and I did trust him. And, and he was right. The unfortunate thing was, is that I, I managed to scramble. I, I got back down and I was doing okay. I'm moving slowly but feeling a great deal more confident than I had going up. Much, much better. And we started off on the snowy bit and then my right crampon came off. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, Because, so so that was ugly. Um, And that involved some falling. And then my partner fell and careened into me. I wasn't a happy bunny for about 10 minutes. Like that. Yeah. So he managed to get the crampon back on and then it happened again. Right. 
and then we readdressed it and actually it didn't happen after that so I, I, I don't I don't know I, we, maybe we'll never know but after that the kit was solid and that was fine um and there was this Italian team came down afterwards and they were very sweet to me <laughs> just said tranquilo tranquilo and then um and then they went skipping down this thing like goats so it, it's it's just a case of experience right yeah um, anyway, so so then we got down the steep bit. I did some scuttling on my bum. I'm not even sorry. When in doubt, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's what I said. My partner said to me, "Oh, you could stand up here. It's really not that bad." <laughs> I went, "My blood pressure is too high." <laughs> so I just carried on, and then got to the point where I felt like I could stand up. And then we had a really nice walk back to the refuge. And if you think we started off at five a.m. and I think we got back to the refuge at two p.m. Wow. So even a small mountain, I mean, we were only a couple of hundred meters below the summit. So we, we did most of it, yeah. um, but a couple of hundred meters up there with those conditions, that can be two hours. Yeah. So I, I think we were right. And you were able to, to actually get back to civilization, so to speak. That day. That day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that day. And, and then I was so ill. And I think that's then what kicked off my um, enormous illness that I've been suffering with, because I think I just took myself beyond exhaustion, which was stupid. Yes. Uh, so we abandoned the thoughts of Montblanc. That's now going to be a next year project because we're going to Scotland this winter to do a proper course and get some more experience. Oh, that's and then, good. yeah, and then we'll go back and take on um, Big Bertha, right. as I'm now calling her. Yeah, <laughs> it was an amazing trip. Kylie's fantastic. And as much as I got frightened, it also was really inspiring. And it was one of those experiences that puts into context the other things in your life. You know, sometimes with the little things we think of as problems uh, and you, you do something like that, that puts you, when I say close to death, I'm not being dramatic because no. I think that terrible happened, but it, it became apparent that that's an environment where you really are living on your own merits and skills. Yes. And you're kind oh. of at the mercy of the mountain because if she had chucked a load of snow at us. Yeah. What are we going to do? Well, but but it's so interesting that, isn't it, though, because... I think that one of the things that makes us so discontent is that we do not have enough real experiences, physical experiences. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to bring something that is so um, far from the sublime into here. But um, so I stayed for a week in a field. And when I say a field, I don't mean a camping site set up in a field. I mean, a field. Oh, just a field. Cows have just yeah. been taken out. And then we, we we were there, okay? And I was in a tent and we had no electricity and we had no running water or anything like that, right? So the one thing everybody wants is a cup of tea. It's, oh. it's, it's whatever. And I borrowed from uh, a dear friend who's now said that he'll sell it to me because I've become so attached to it, a thing called a storm kettle. Have you seen a storm kettle? No. Right. I... I am not wrong when I say that the storm kettle has changed my life, partly because it's made me feel very much that if human ingenuity can create a storm kettle, you know, colonizing Mars, solving climate change, all of those things are within. So a storm kettle is, if you can imagine, two chimneys made of stainless, stainless steel, one inside yeah. of them. In the bottom is a little dish, and in the dish you light a tiny fire with twigs and grass. You can use dry grass. It doesn't need logs of any kind. It's tiny, yeah? And you then, having lit the dish, you put the chimney on top of it and you carry on feeding it with twigs, right? 
the water is held between the two layers of the chimney. Got it. So it's dispersed. So I guess yeah. the heat can and do it, its thing and quicker. And it works, I would say, quicker than an electric kettle. Right. Roughly the same time as an electric kettle. That's clever. And it then whistles and it it has a lovely counterbalanced handle so yeah. without burning. And because it's so simple, and someone has said, why do we all do always do this thing where we heat the water above the fire? Couldn't we heat the water around the fire? Yeah. And there is something so beautiful in, yeah. in the idea that, A, you go back to basics. So what do I need? I need some warm water for a warm drink. Yeah. Um, and how do you get that? You get that with fire. But fire and human ingenuity, it's just a, to me, it's an absolute, it's, it's, it's. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? It's brilliant. incredible. And, but, but, but I do think also, even the fact of waking up at half past four in the morning when it started to get light. Yeah. And when it got dark, you feel, even if you have got a torch or something, you feel, I shouldn't be up at this time. This yes. is not the time for me to be up. This is the time for me to be in my little nest. And you become more of a, more in tune with, with the world around you in, in, in a way. Mm -hmm. And having an experience where you've really, in a sense, given the environment the drop on you, if you'll pardon the pun, yeah, by yeah. going into those, you've really, you've really taken yourself out of a comfort zone, haven't you? That, that, that's completely what it was. And I think it was such a set of new experiences. Like, for example... Uh, when you slip and slide on the snow, which you do, yeah. because it's yeah. fresh snow and it moves. Well, the first few times, it's terrifying because mm. you don't know how far you're going to go. Yeah. You don't know if you're going to bomb off into a crevasse or something. Yeah. You don't know where it ends. Yeah. By like the 10th time you're slipping and sliding, you're not really registering it anymore. No. no. Because at that point, you're in tune with the movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the hang of it. So it was, it was so fantastic. And I, I would recommend anyone... If you're wanting that kind of experience to go, I would go the first time with a guide, right? Because it's it's good to have someone with that knowledge. I mean, my partner did such a fantastic job mm. of getting us through it. He knew all the knots. He'd done so much research. He was a very very cool head in a very stressful situation at times, and and remained good company even when I was yeah. having a flap. So so I that was fine because I was with him. But I would say it's worth the money for a guide just the first time so that you get a reference for what's okay and what's not. Mm. But if, for example you know we turned around if we'd had a guide there that said no that's fine we can do that in this time we, we yeah. might have got to the summit not that the summit is the, or shouldn't be the point no the point was the the day of really lovely climbing which is what we had I know I've made it all sound quite dramatic and negative but those, those were the highlights there was a lot yeah. of, of of climbing really lovely climbing and just looking at beautiful things and this moment where we came onto a little flat bit which has a name but I can't remember and we were above the clouds and there was the valley and all these other mountains. And it was just the purest, most beautiful thing. You could hear the water running under the mountain. Mm. You could hear the wind. The air was so clear and clean. And it was a real, one of those experiences where you, you do it off the sweat of your back. Yeah. And, and kind of like simple tools, you, you know, like you were saying with the storm kettle. And ice axe looks like such a simple thing. Yeah. But you wedge that into that rock and you are going nowhere. They're incredible. It's it's yeah, incredible. It's interesting because a friend of mine's grandfather um, was one of the first 
sort of alpine climbers of modern times. And he developed a lot of kit through wow. trial and error. And in fact, yeah. he um, famously, he didn't, he wasn't in the expedition that went up Everest, but they used his tent. Right. Uh, because that's very cool. He'd worked on all this. And, but one of the things, the things that, and I'm now going to swing us around to the thing that we were going to talk about. And, and, and because I can see a really clear connection with this, yes. which is these are experiences for the mind and the heart and the body all together. You're physically slipping on the snow. Yeah. You are emotionally feeling the sense of dependence on your partner. Yes. You are um, intellectually valuing um, the preparation that you've done. So yes. it's, it's, and we've been talking about, and I, so, so here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that I think that uh, relationships, sexual relationships are like that. You've got to have the body emotions and the, and, and the mind working mm -hmm. in, yep, agreed. In, in tune. And that because we live a life, most of us live a life where we're not perhaps in tune with the physical world enough. Yes. That's something that makes it harder yes. to make the sort of connections that allow people to develop relationships. You are correct. So so the topic that we're going to talk about or start talking about today yeah. is incels. It is. Which yeah. we spoke about, you know, previously and we got into it a little bit. And it's it's interesting what you say there. So I, I've done a bunch of research. I have watched a couple of documentaries, mm. um, which I've not written down the name of. One of them's on Sky. It's like The Secret Life of Incels. And right. then there was another one on Netflix. But they're, they're all out there. I'll actually, I'll, I'll look mm. them up again and I'll put the names in the show notes if anyone wants to. I yeah. thought I'd written them down, but I haven't. So anyway, uh, I've got quite a lot to talk about with this and we can get into the definition of what an incel is. So an incel is a portmanteau of involuntary celibate. Mm. And, and the term was actually first coined by a woman in right. the 90s, a woman called Alana, who started a website to kind of just let off steam and connect with people. She was having a hard time dating and finding connections and it was supposed to just be a place where people who were having that same experience could blow off some steam. Right. Um, she she then started dating successfully and mm. moved on and is is now kind of fairly horrified mm. at what's become of the community because it's supposed to be more of a support group. It's now morphed into a kind of echo chamber of misery that mm. actually makes it quite hard for people to leave and has resulted in some violent behaviour. So the, the New Yorker has a definition, actually, which I wrote down because I thought it, it summed things up pretty well. So the New Yorker describes themselves as a subset of straight men who have constructed a violent political ideology around the injustice of young, beautiful women refusing to have sex with them. Hmm. By their own judgment, they are unattractive and socially inept. Misogyny is also rife in this community. So there was another quote from, from an incel that is, um, or an incel group, which is society has become a place for worship of females. And it's so fucking wrong. They're not gods. They're just a fucking cum dumpster. Oof. 
So here we have Ooh. a group of people who yeah. expect to have sex, but also talk about women like that. Yes. Wow. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Yeah. So so to, for your point of physical experiences, so the, the Sky documentary that I watch, which is really good. So a presenter goes out uh, and makes connections with incels from yeah. different walks. So he talks about some of the violent ones as well, because, you know, they, unfortunately, there have been quite a lot of deaths which have come out of incel culture. And I'll talk a bit later about some of the notable incels who have yeah. gone on to commit mass murder. It's not very many when you look at the total population, but it, they do exist. And and there was one lad that he spoke to, he was about 19, and for for whatever reason, he clearly had a very sheltered life. He wasn't in education, he wasn't working, he wasn't doing anything, and really the only woman he ever spoke to was his mother. Yeah. Uh, And he he just had some um, quite extreme views about what would happen if he tried to engage with a woman. So Mm. in the end, the presenter took him for a night out. They went out in Southampton drinking. The presenter got some women to come over to the table and just have a question with a conversation with this lad, and he had some questions for them. But prior to this, he, he was convinced that if he engaged in conversation with a woman, she would then accuse him of rape. Yes, yes. See, and I he really think... thought that because yeah. he hasn't had the experiences. But after the night out, the presenter checked back in with him. Yeah, and he said. Oh, actually, you know, having spoken to people and being out in the world, I'm now re-evaluating how I think about this. And actually, I think the key for me to move forward is to go out and have experiences. Yes. So you're exactly right with what you say. Yeah. In there, just interacting with the world and, and having experiences that push our boundaries outwards is how you maintain a balanced connection with reality and other people. Yeah. Or else the world shrinks. And, and, and also, though, one of the crucial things is... Um, when you are out there in the world having a real experience, you're yes. not in total control. No, and, and, I, and you, you're not in the mountain. You're not. And, and the problem is that if you spend too much of your time online, and I, you know, I enjoy being online as much as anybody else. I'm not. A, I'm not an anti-onliner. Far from it. But if you spend too much of your time online you can potentially continue to move, for example, from social group to social group until you find a place where you feel comfortable. Yes. And maybe you would have been better off learning something from a group where you don't feel 100% comfortable, which had helped you grow. And um, what I feel is that, and, and I do see a link with gaming, again, fond as I am of gaming, um, that potentially you are in control of the entire world you're living in in a game you know certain types of game and i know you have to get it right or you perish but but there is always the opportunity to try again and yeah and i suppose i suppose i i was listening to a, a program a, a document well I, yeah, I suppose it was a documentary and sort of post a um, uh, uh, um, uh, podcast um with three blokes talking about they were in their 40s and 50s and they one of them had been to Magaluf believe it or not on a stag and he said can you believe at my age I've gone to Magaluf to a stag and yes young men came in to the bar and um he said for us oldies there were lots of ladies about but we weren't most of us were married so we were just like 
chatting, but we weren't on the pull. But half a dozen young men came in, he said. They sat down, they got drinks, they pulled their phones out. Yeah. And they stayed looking on their phones the entire time they were there. Yeah. Yeah. And he said he felt like going over to them and saying, look, this is a target-rich environment here, chaps. There's a lot of girls. They're out for fun. They want to make connections with people. Just talk to a few. Yeah, 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 completely right. So um, that's related to actually the story of one of the people that I'm going to talk about with this. So just to recap, the documentaries that I've watched, I've just Googled them. So it's um, the it's Channel 4, not Sky, and it's called Untold, The Secret World of Incels. Right. Which is And it's really good. And there's another one on BBC Three called Inside the Secret World of Incels. So similar titles, they are separate documentaries yeah. and, and, and both really worth it. Um, I also spent some time on some of the forums. Oh, right. It's an God. experience that I wish I could remove. Right. From my brain, but I, I've heard that pouring bleach into your ear won't do that. Right. So as tempting as it was. So so the the kind of pinnacle incel who has become a bit of an emblem for the community is a guy called Elliot Roger. Right. Who's also known as the Supreme Gentleman. I'm gonna cough, pardon me. <laughs> so so he was a young man um who who killed six people and injured 14 others in Isla Vista in California because he couldn't have sex, basically. Mm. Um, so he wanted to instigate a war on women. He ended up killing himself in his car before he could be apprehended. He was heavily bullied. He he really couldn't make friends. Uh, and he had a lot of YouTube videos, I think they're still up actually, where he is, is very angry with women for not what he called like giving him their sex or something like that, a kind of creepy view of it, of, of not being interested in him. So he was the child of a couple of movie producers, so quite affluent yeah. upbringing, had nice clothes, had a nice car. Uh, in his head, he was trying to make connections, being really charming, being the perfect gentleman. But after all this kicked off and they interviewed people that had known him, they described a real asshole who right. never interacted, wouldn't speak. Yeah just wasn't around socially. Yeah. And when you look at Elliot Roger, he's not the most handsome guy on the planet, but he's absolutely fine looking. Yes. It's a normal dude. He doesn't yeah. have tentacles. Yeah. So really probably all he needed to do was be a bit cheerful. Anyway, he, he did have um, quite a, a troubled history. He was, you know, involved in a couple of instances where he'd thrown drinks at a couple and like, 2013 he tried to push girls off a wall and, and just got beaten up but he's a real example like you say of, of this kind of isolation culture yeah where people can exist almost entirely online yeah and that can be a real echo chamber but particularly yeah. on these incel forums where and I've seen it with my own eyes they are posting videos of women being beheaded they are posting videos of women being raped they are posting massively violent content but also the comments Mm. are about raping scores of women what they would do slitting throats and I think all this really extreme talk then becomes very very normalized Mm. until this quite extreme behavior can occur now when you look at the total volume of people on incel forums and who are identifying as incels the amount that go on to commit murder is minute Mm. 
minute. And and probably the Elliot Rogers of this world, the Alec Manassians, he killed 10 people and injured 16 in 2018 um, by running them over and, and then wanted to achieve suicide by cop, but didn't. So he's now in prison for a very long time. Christopher Harper Mercer, who killed nine people, left behind a manifesto praising Elliot Roger. Jake Davison, 2021, just the other year, killed five people in Plymouth. Um, I, I think that those people probably would have found a reason to be raging at the universe and would have found a reason to do that, even if they had been drowning in women. But I'm I'm going to suggest a bit of a thought here. Um, I'm not a big fan of Fifty Shades of Grey. No. And I'm not a big fan of the normalisation of sexual hurting. Some people like it and let them be very happy to do so. But majority of people, are, in my experience, are not that keen. And certainly nothing extreme. Smack on the arse is one thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> being gagged and tied up and things. We're starting to get into a into a world, and my my part of my theory about this the incel thing is this. I think that these young men, who very often are porn saturated, have got an idea about what a sexual relationship with a woman would be, which they know in their heart of hearts is unbelievably unlikely that she will ever mm. them to. Mm. Now, if you say, you know the girl who works in your office, do you think she'd let you give you a, a snuggle? Yeah? She almost certainly would snuggle you if you felt miserable. Yeah? And if you regard your sexual life as being an extension of a snuggle, yeah, then you think, oh, it's about making a positive connection with someone. If you think a successful sexual life is finding a woman who will allow you to burn you with wax, have to burn you with wax, yeah, tie you so, up. So they're not necessarily interested in, in violent sexual encounters. Yeah, but, the, the interest is in violence against women. And, and the thing is that... But I'm wondering if they came from the same... If, if they think sex is much more unlikely than it is... Because they do think that, sex, but they... there's something about an entitlement as well. So, so one thing I, I noticed when I was in the forum, it, it was that the talk was about sex, not love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I don't think that I, I think it's actually more about dominance. Yeah, yes. Than it is about actual sex, but and there's also a kind of entitlement about it. So, so mm. they have these characterizations, and there, there's links between this kind of thinking actually and eugenics because mm. a lot of the theory is that um, sex is a game that's rigged mm. and it's down to genetics, whether you're going to get any or not. And, and right. if you are not over six foot tall with certain type of cheekbones, certain type of musculature, mm. then you're basically just out of the game. So so the ideal guy, they call a Chad. Yeah. And attractive women, they call Stacey's. Mm. Or they also categorise, so they, they, don't call, they don't say women either, they say females or femoids. Right. I mean, nothing makes a woman wetter than being called a femoid, right? Yeah. So, and they have like tiers of women mm. and they all want a tier one, which would be yeah. Zendaya. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, uh, Zendaya, your top tier women, your Stacey's probably aren't available to 99% of the population no. anyway. Uh, and these are people that mostly sit in a basement and don't really do a whole lot. Yeah. So it seems to be that they want 
the best of the best without having to be the best of the best themselves. Yeah. So there is a certain entitlement. And I saw a lot of this um, desire for women to be distributed equally among men. So I think there's some of it, which is fear of rejection. Yeah. I think some of it is entitlement and maybe a bit of delusion about what gets you what. Yeah. So you do to be with a very attractive or not even very attractive, you know, to, to be attracted to somebody you do either have to be in physically good shape or cheerful and funny or, you know, preferably both. I mean, you don't have yeah. to be aesthetically attractive to take care of yourself, yeah. be interesting and pleasant and, and have a nice haircut. Like, that goes a long way. OK. Yeah, um, but I but I know I, I, I agree. I think I think it's very interesting. I think the idea of entitlement, I personally don't think that in the real life, the Chad's my real life that the chads do well particularly if they're well groomed because the first assumption that the girls have is that they're gay <laughs> um, if they're looking that good they must be gay. yeah mm. but also i was looking i was looking around today i've been at the, the post show sunday lunch and yeah. there were young people there um in there between the ages of about 14 and 30 right okay Two or three of the lads are very good looking, but do not necessarily get more girlfriends. The ones who are irrepressible are the ones that get the girlfriends. The ones who are always full of fun. And I think one of the saddest things about this is that the incels themselves are asking completely the wrong question correct um and 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 um you know i i'm not as uh uh, i'm not as uh anti this man as one is supposed to be but jordan Jordan peterson jordan peterson's attitude is if all women are rejecting you maybe it's because there's not much there for them to to attach and he's right and he's right it's like we said at the beginning you know if you sit there and and throw out hatred and vitriol and and make it common knowledge that you think that women are second-class citizens it's unlikely that they're going to swarm around you yeah and and there are some things that are happening societally certainly in america i think less so in britain but I, i i won't hold my breath the number of young men who how, are living at home with their parents, of course, has gone up greatly. That's yes. the housing crisis. So we're all feeling sympathetic for them at this point. Yeah, yeah? yeah, yeah. The number of men who've passed their driving test before the age of 30 has halved. Wow. And I was listening to a young female podcaster saying, come on, lads, throw us a bone. Yeah? Do something that we can admire. Yeah? So I'll drive. See, that would be a red flag for me. That would be a red flag for me. Not necessarily not owning a car. No. Because circumstances in life happen, or you might have moved to a city where, frankly, it's ridiculous to have a car. But to not be able to physically drive one as an adult, that's a red flag. Well, and of course, what that then feeds into is I can't get a job because there are no jobs near to me. What, within walking distance of your computer? Yeah. So yeah. within five yards of you, there is not a major employer. Well, unless yeah. your mother's basement is in um, uh, 
you know, Silicon Valley, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to do that. And so there, there are steps that people can take to make them more attractive. And um, I think that the, the, the very tragic thing about this is that it's based on such a misapprehension of what women want. Right. Because, um, again, another podcast, um, this was um, a neurologist talking about um, female sexual response. And uh, the most reliable generator of the brain hormones, the endorphins, that particularly create sexual desire in women, the, the, the one thing that gets those chemicals flowing is laughter. Yeah, yeah, no, honestly. And, and look at any successful male comedian. Yeah. And then look at his partner. Yeah. Being funny works, guys. Yeah. And, Just be funny. And the, I would argue that the reason for that is that if you can make, if you know your audience, a good comedian knows their audience and can make that person laugh as an individual and as part of a group. So if you are talking to a woman and you're a chap and you can really make her laugh, she feels seen and known. Right. And also it's a good benchmark for the future because, you know, so, so my partner's a very attractive man, but that wasn't part of my criteria for picking him. Yeah. The fact that he was kind, funny was a big yeah. one. Yeah. You know, and open, it, it was it was really much more important because by the age of 75, we all kind of look the same. Yeah. But yeah. at the age of 75, you might have another 20 years to go. Yeah. So if you're picking your person to go the distance with, you've got to know that you can get on with them. Uh, a, f a friend of mine said, um, who is very much in favour of people marrying, men marrying women clever. This is his theory. He said, if you right. marry the most beautiful woman that you can find, on her wedding day, she will be at her most beautiful. Yeah. And you basically will watch her decline. If, on the other hand, you marry, because if that's what you value... Right, I get it's a value statement. It just struck me as kind of a bit of a an objectifying Yeah, 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 yeah. Comment. He says, yeah. on the other hand, you marry a woman who's sharp, particularly if sharp and funny, at 21, and by the time she's 70, she'll run rings around your enemies. She'll become stronger and wiser and braver and cleverer yeah. every year that goes by, and you... If you're looking about what you've got in it, what's in it for you, yeah? Another 21-year-old, when you're 40, will be more attractive than your 40-year-old wife if that's right. all you wanted in her. If that's all you if, were worried about. If, on the other hand, you wanted her personal qualities, strength of mind, um, sharpness of wit, etc. Um, and he then, then actually tends to then add the breeding thing, which is actually you know, you would want to have in your gene pool people who are clever and because that will improve the gene pool of the entire extended family. But I, parking the slight objectification, yeah. I think I think the thing that the thing that the um, the other thing uh, in one of the books I read recently could have been the 
no, it's another um, another book of sort of post-feminist thought. Um, what a, a fact I'd love to share with the incels is this. Uh, for a woman to have an orgasm, the odds are eight times higher if she's in a relationship, in right. any one given act, any one given sex act, right? Yeah. So when you want her to be a pickup with you, yeah, you're asking her to know what for most women is likely to be unsatisfactory sex. Or not. But they're not bothered about that. They're, not, they're not worried about the, yeah, yeah, but, they're not but, worried about the female experience. But, but what so what I'm saying is if they were to say, look, the pickup culture isn't working for us and it's not working for women either. Yeah. So let's abandon that whole idea of what a pickup culture yeah. would be and think about how you connect as human beings. That's the way it's going to work for both. I think that part of the problem with the community as well is that it's its own perpetual motion engine of misery. Yeah. Because these men are being told yeah. by other members of the community that they're very undesirable, that no one yeah. will ever have sex with them. Then you see them in these documentaries and yeah. they look fine. Yeah. They're fine. Some of them maybe could lose a couple of kilos and have yeah. a haircut. Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with them physically. Yeah. They were just cheerful and pleasant, and and yeah. had other things going on. You know, I can't stress enough the importance of having other things going on. Yeah, but if you you know if if you've got a hobby, you go and do something. You've mm. then got a talking point. Really doesn't matter what that is. Mm. You've got something about yourself, but then basing your entire identity around your eventual rejection will make that come true. Yes, yes. If that's the path you go down. But self-help in the community is so frowned upon. If they try and leave or get relationships or whatever, they get called a fake cell. Ah. So not only do you have this community that's feeding into women are shit, women will never yeah. love you, you're too ugly. Yeah. And then if you try and do something about that, you lose all your friends. Yeah. What, but this, what's the person to do? But this is where, this is a very good example of where I am... Broadly anxious about what might be called identity politics. Yeah. Necessarily for the reason that I'm on the right or anything like that. That's not it at all. I just think that the danger is that if you start to define yourself as a group rather than an individual, um, you may stop serving yourself as an individual, yeah. uh, which is exactly what you're talking about here. Yes. And if you were to regard yourself as being, let's say, you're an incel, but you're also an incel who really likes Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And you then go to a rock concert because you're a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. You're doing something for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah? And also at that point, you're going to have interactions. Exactly. I mean, I was last night. I was at a speed cheer because I really know how to live, mm -hmm. and the amount of romance that was buzzing around the speed cheer. Oh, believe it! Not just for the guys who were up on the um, on the um, on the platform, um, and I must say, ladies, if you have never been by a man who's got lanolin hands after shearing. You are missing out. So there's always there that. Go. 
But also, people were just, the, the youngsters were just talking about it. It was like, well, I thought this was going to be a walkover from the voice of Dinas. Well, no, because look at these guys. And, you know, oh, yeah, were you there at so-and-so? And they were mm. boys and girls, young men and women talking together. Mm. They were animated. And several times I thought to myself, oh, yeah, this, this is definitely, this is definitely, I started talking to her about the speech here, yeah? And yeah. before the end of the evening, I'll have asked her out for a drink. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's the thing; those experiences. But also, I think like it, that is an, an an identity, or, or that makes up the mosaic of a person. Yeah, who, who has a complete personality profile. So a lot of the the it's mostly guys. One of the um, one of the documentaries did interview a fem cell. Right. So there are women out there right. identifying in this way, but they are a much lower number than than the guys. And a couple of them actually identified as neats which is not in education, employment, right. or training. Right, yeah. So, so I mean, as Judge Judy would say, you're a bum. Yeah. Because you're just not doing anything. But imagine, yeah. like, if you have your identity as someone with no prospects, yes. you will come to believe that about yourself, and yes. you will manifest that. Yes, yes. Because and if that's the energy that you put out, is that I don't do anything. If I talk to a woman, she'll accuse me of rape. And by the way, they're a second-class citizen. And, and some of the behaviour that is encouraged by this community is really, really gross. So they um, they, they endorse this practice called look-smaxing. Right. Which can be a variety of different activities. But one of the things that people do is they take a hammer and, and they hit their face to try and change their bone structure. Oh, for God's sake. That's self-harm. Yes. Uh, it's not going to work, for one. No. But that is, that, that's quite extreme. But the but the irony of the irony of that is most girls wouldn't notice anyway. You know? They wouldn't it's not what it's not what girls care about. And no, it's and not the other thing the other thing, uh, and this is getting back to the sort of um the sort of anti feminist attitude towards it. Okay, let's say you're a man and you don't believe that feminism has worked for you. Okay, let's say that. Fine. So you have to show to a woman a different way of life. Okay. Yeah. Now, I am highly delighted that none of my girls has decided to be a trad wife. Yeah. But if you look on TikTok, you will see that there are a lot of young women who are very much relishing what they call a trad wife lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But but what the man has to do in order to have the trad wife who is making apple crumble and breastfeeding the fifth baby, yeah, he has to earn enough money yeah. to keep them going. And Which in today's economy takes a bit of doing, by yeah. the way. And so what one thing also I would say you know, in answer to to a young man in those circumstances, is to say, you don't have to accept a post feminist worldview. No. Yeah. Your friends who go to the mosque on a Friday, they don't accept that. They have another worldview. You can find a worldview, and you can build an alternative, but yeah. you're going to have to build it in such a way that you include 
some aspects of care and support for women. Yeah. Because otherwise, they won't play. No. And, and no. Because having sense. different rules doesn't mean that yeah. one person doesn't get valued for what they do do. No, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I'm always, I'm always in, in it. Well, not always, but I, I, I occasionally get into discussions um, uh, with, with, with people who are astonished that I still have faith. And, and um, one of the things I say to them is, look, I was brought up to believe that there is only one human being that has ever existed without fault. And she was a woman. Yeah. So, you know what? You know, I was brought up, I was educated by highly intelligent, um, militantly separatist women who were nuns. Yeah. And um, every day we spent a lot of time thinking about the Queen of Heaven. So I've got my own female take on it. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, so what I'm saying is in self, if you want, but then I, I ask, I ask myself, I suppose, I, I don't want to be too Freudian about it. Yeah, go for it. But the mother who cares for them, the overcaring mother, yeah, who doesn't say, get out of that bloody basement. I'm not going to pay. There, there is an aspect of enablement. Yeah. Here. Because, definitely. Because, because for someone to be that isolated, and isolation has a massive amount to do with this. Yeah. Because these people just haven't experienced people. Yeah. Someone has allowed that. Yeah. And you could argue that there may be mothers for whom having a dependent son gives them a sort of Munchausen's kind of, I have to look after him, he's not very functioning, yes. sort of, you know, I, I look after him because he's... Kind fed. of enjoying some dependency and, and maybe still being... And I can understand this to a, a degree, actually, the feeling of being the most important person in someone's life. Yes, exactly. It's quite heady. And I can imagine if you yourself haven't got things lined up with which to replace that, yeah, then it could be a difficult thing to let go of. Yeah. Yeah. You, for example, six children. Yeah. But you've also got a bunch of stuff going on. Yes, absolutely. You know, so now, so now you enjoy them differently. Yes, exactly. And, and they come in and out, right? And as they need to, thing... because you've got books to write and, and podcasts yeah. to record. When I, when I, um, when I think of, which I do quite a lot, about all the things I've done wrong as a mother, the mm. one thing I do say to myself is they have all launched. Yes. And funnily enough, I was talking about this with a friend the other day who said she'd had a friend oh. who'd had four children deliberately because she thought that um, at least one would fail to launch. Oh, my God. And that seemed a little... Oh, my God. You can't that... treat it like a coconut shy. No. Um, but also... Um, I wasn't sure what that person then felt about the about the failure to launch thing, whether they felt that was a good thing because you kept them as a pet or whether it was a bad thing because they couldn't succeed. And yeah. Or they uh, end up the subject of a podcast in a bad way. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. But so I'm, th uh, and then you've got to ask, and I'm, I'm going to perhaps be a little bit, um, did you listen to the song Rich Men North of Richmond? No. Right, okay. Well, I, will. I, I promise you gave right. me that homework. I haven't done yeah. it. Um the reason why I mentioned Rich Men North of Richmond is Rich Men North of Richmond is a song written by a guy who has had some addiction problems. He's had oh. some 
He's worked in low-paid jobs. And most people are all like cheering, cheering from both sides when he says, you know, that his life is 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 um, you know working all night, working all day for bullshit pay, basically, is his thing. Right. And so everybody, right, left and centre, are cheering. But then he says um, he has a, a, a pop at, uh, at various people in power who he thinks are trying to tell him what to think and do. And then he says, um, uh, we've got people on the street with nothing to eat and the obese are milking welfare. Ooh. Right. Which is a very whatever. That's strong. Yeah. Strong. He then says, if you're five foot two and 300 pounds, the taxes shouldn't pay for your bag of fudge rounds, which is a, <laughs> which is that shot. I don't disagree with it in a way. But but, but my so... point is my point is, um, th that then triggered a huge debate about whether that made him a right wing figure. He no. says he he's a political centrist, and I think he's entitled to say. He's a political centrist, yeah? But as a man on a low wage paying tax, he found those people to be exploiting him, right? Mm. And I'm now thinking about these people who are living in basements who are not working and haven't got uh, passed a, uh, their driving test, yeah? Um, and I'm saying to myself, we've created a system that allows them to not starve. And I suppose I see a, I see two things. I'm, I'm, I'm putting... Welfare, if you like, and, and social security and, and porn as two things that prevent a man from doing the things that men have always done, which is hunt and have sex. And if you, if it's possible for you, by the way, this is not me saying I want to see the money switched off and I want to see themselves starve, but I feel that they should be, I feel that if, the, if they have created a lifestyle which is financially unsustainable and requires other people's taxes to support it, then actually people should be taking some interventions with them and saying to them, we won't, we won't pay for your basement. Yeah. You have to, to look after yourself. Even if you get a job in the local shop, you don't enjoy it very much. It doesn't matter. You're still getting out there. And so I'm wondering is what we've done is created a kind of, of a kind of false ease, which isn't any good. The difficulty is that where, where you have a framework which is set up to take care of people that have fallen on hard times, you, you yeah. will get some people that then exploit that. Yes. It's, it's, it's a difficult subject because I, I don't think that we should stop having a welfare system no. because it's very arrogant for any of us to think that we're in a position where we might not need it absolutely and sometimes absolutely. you genuinely fall on hard times and and then it's there to, to bail you out i i'm i'm not sure that we can blame porn i i think i think there's something about the isolation i i do there's there so there's part of the um incel manifesto i'm going to talk about manifestos in yeah. a bit because it's, it's very very interesting there's actually a, an aspect of it that i agree with right which is the need for the masculine version of feminism 
Yes, yes, I think so. That's so I have point. in this modern day, I have some issues with the application of feminism. Yeah. Not not across the board, but there are things about it that I find quite toxic. Mm. Because I think feminism was there to unnecessary at a time when women didn't have as many rights, couldn't have a credit card without your husband's signature, couldn't vote. That's clearly all yeah. shit and shouldn't yeah. have happened and we should be equal. Well, that, that's achieved really. Yeah. Um, more or less. Uh, and I think that the problem that I have with widely applied feminism now is that it targets all men and not just the patriarchy. Yes. Yes. So so the, the structures that were there to keep women down yeah. were not applied by normal men working in the mines. No. They were applied by the top layer, that top three yeah. percent. Yeah. So if you're not in that top three percent, as a man, in, in a lot of ways, you've been equally oppressed. Yeah. In different ways. Different yeah. ways. Okay, you can have your own bank account, you can vote and everything, but then you know, we talk about the draft, the dangerous jobs. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've arrived now in society where this is probably applicable across the board, but and we've spoken about this before, but the, the pressure applied to men. Hmm. It's quite extreme mm. because we want them to still be hunter gatherers. We want them yeah. to be leaders. We want them to be strong, mm. but also in touch with their feelings. Yeah, and also sensitive, and also exploring their artistic side, um, but also super fit and alpha. And when you look at all the things that men today are expected to be, I mean, it feels to me like a mental breakdown waiting to happen. Yes. And no wonder that we've got the suicide rate amongst men that we do. So I, I think that there is something to be said yeah. for moving more towards an equalist movement than yes. a feminist movement. Yes. And those will never look the same. Now, if you people are going to get angry now when mm. I say that women and men just aren't the same and never will be. No. Men are going to be physically short, apart from the outliers, you're mm. going to get the outliers. Men are generally going to be physically stronger. Women are going to be generally more in touch with their feelings and have the soft skills and that kind of thing. Mm. So equality between men and women is not going to be making everyone the same. Yeah, It's going to be making sure that everyone is valued for what they contribute yes. equally, yes. Yeah. equal value for, for yeah. what's put in and done. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and these days, you know, we have, the ability to flip some of those roles around you know for example I'm in, I'm in a position where I'm fortunate to earn very well yeah in the future those earnings are going to increase because you know there's pay rise coming and um I'd be more than happy for my partner to not work hmm. more than happy hmm. because I have to well I don't have to I do have to you know but there's no reason that everyone should be miserable in a nine to five. Okay, he doesn't want that because he, he wants to work and has his own yeah. ambitions for things and all that. But yeah. that's something that I'd be happy to support and very comfortable yeah. with if, if he was interested in it. So I think we also have it in, in this modern era, the benefit to have a look at gender roles in some ways yeah. in terms of maybe who is the breadwinner yeah. and does what. Um, so so I, do, you know, I do see from that, yeah. But then, you know, we've come depressingly small distances in this respect uh -huh. and when you think about some of the things that we've lost for men you know the sort of traditional image of what a hero is or whatever yeah. um, and they and they haven't really won the freedom and I, I i may have told you this story before but it is it, it, pertinent to this i was in i was in play group with one of my small ones and um it was all mothers and in came a chap with a baby on each hip. He was absolutely covered in sweat and silage. It was a summer day. Right. He said, I'm bringing the kids to playgroup. One of you ladies be kind enough to make me a cup of tea, right? 
Now, he is six foot two. He's big. Yeah. And he had a baby on each hip. So we made him a cup of tea. We made him some toast. And we made a fuss of him because we love him. He's a very nice man. Yeah. And he then, he, he parked the tractor outside. He then clambered back into the tractor. We handed the babies up into the tractor and off he went. Right. Yeah. There was a woman in the group who hadn't lived in the area for very long who said, well, she said, that's a strange thing to do, she said. It's not what a man does. Look after children like that, right? And I said... That's a very unhelpful view. Yeah, you wait. I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, he must be gay. Oh, stop. How do you have them then? So I said, girls, hands up if you know from personal experience he's at least bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) And eight out of ten of us put our hands up, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because he is honestly the most macho man you would ever find, right? And, but her, and I was really furious with her. Really furious. It's quite ugly, actually. Yeah, because I said, A, would it matter if he was gay? B, honestly, he isn't. And it's not very safe. But macho men can also be gay and that's also fine. Yeah, but it is not terribly safe if you carry on living around here if you think he's gay. (laughs) So I think you should have, just have, take some warning shots here. But, well, he's also got yeah a baby on each hip, so it's largely yeah, so irrelevant. Yeah, so where have they come from? But 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 so what I'm saying is, I think there are still a lot of people who don't really think that the choices that men could make financially yeah. are socially acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, because we still have this tendency for people to refer to men parenting as babysitting. Yeah. Oh, he's babysitting. So no, he's parenting. They're his kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes. there's no babysitting about it. Yeah, and, and and I think, um, I do think that we do need to do something fairly urgently about the whole discussion. I mean, um, the way we talk about boys, the way we yeah. talk about men. Um, a very, very small number of men commit ho- horrible crimes. Yeah. And some men are also brutalised by what has happened to them. That, that, that is the case. However... There are also masses of splendid men. Yeah. Oh, the majority. I mean, I've had really, really good. I, I like men a lot. Yeah. Um, I've had really good experiences. And, and and I think that a lot of, like you say, because some men do yeah. bad things, we, yeah. we then kind of almost arrived at a situation where we don't allow the rest of men their experiences. Yes. For example, because some men hit women. Yeah, it's not possible to talk about men who are abused by women. Yeah, and yeah. that happens, and it happens yeah. more than anyone thinks. It doesn't get reported because, again, the, the you know the embarrassment that men think there is around reporting that kind of thing. There yeah. isn't. If you're a man listening to this and you are being hit at home, tell someone. Yeah, it's fine, and you know it's better than it continuing. You need to get some yeah. help because it will escalate. Um, and there are plenty of violent crimes committed against men by women. You know, it's, it's, it is a thing. I wish it wasn't. But also, um, but also, but also, um, quite rightly, uh, you know, and I've, you know, I've got the, I've got the stripes that allow me to say this. 
quite rightly we focus on violence. But yes. um, there is a theory that women do reputational damage to men. We're far more manipulative. And that it is in a sense, it is in a sense our equivalent. So a man has greater upper body strength. A woman has a stronger social network. Yeah. So a man will punch you. Yeah. A woman can destroy your livelihood. Right. Yes. And and I'm not saying that either is anything other than utterly reprehensible. But to say that women are repositories of virtue because they don't have the upper body strength to punch back. Oh, it's totally false, yeah, and it's not yeah, helpful. It's it, not... it makes it really difficult because, of course, you want to believe victims. Yeah. And, and, and we then get into these real muddy waters where it's like trying to work out who's telling the truth. And then yeah. sometimes you get the situations where someone reports something and they're not believed because yeah. of um, that whole trope, which makes things incredibly difficult. But I think that psychological abuse by women actually is quite common towards other women as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because you get that in female friendships, yeah. you know, quite. It's a mean girls phenomenon. And and yeah. I think I think that um, for various reasons, um, some of them being to do with Nietzsche and the whole death of God thing, but the idea that people of both genders should be striving towards a set of virtuous behaviours has become a very unfashionable idea. And the idea that we're more driven by some sort of instinctive drive that we can't do very much about. Well, actually, you know, we have the capacity to be generous. We have the capacity to be honest. We have the capacity to be caring. And men and women are like that. Um, And I mean, I know know lots of top chaps and I know lots of top women and um, I'm fortunate enough to to have a, I always say this, I think I've got, I, I, I defy anyone to say that they have a better gang of friends than I do. I think, I think I've got, I've got literally the best humans in the world on my team. Oh. And, and uh, yes, and you know, you're, you know, you know, you're, <laughs> I'm on the zombie apocalypse but, 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 um, I don't expect different things from my friends because they're male or female. No. I expect generosity, um, enthusiasm, humour, you know, all the things I expect. And so we've become we've we've done this thing where we've where we've gendered everything to a ridiculous extent, but yet we roll back on the fact. So I mean the proportion of, of women going to medical school now compared to to, to male males is alarming right simply because something must be going wrong uh if if it isn't 50 50 it should be 50 50 yeah it's more like 80 20 okay and that tells me that there must be some boys for whom the system is you know some bright but i don't want i don't want to be cut up by the way by a tokenistic boy surgeon who was just added in because they had to have a chat but but you would hope that you would have roughly equal representation and you know university entrance generally is that you know the numbers creep up and up and up favoring women more and more and more and okay so let's do something about let's admit that we should try to be fair and 
perhaps that would be one of the best things for the incels is is a feeling that the world could be fair yes uh, where they're looking for that fairness is misplaced because what yeah. they want is for the um, equal distribution of females. <sighs> distribution, like you distribute a book. Um, but there is, and there's something about the, their kind of thought process, which is preconceived templates. And yeah. A bit like what you've just said about how I don't expect different things from my friends depending on whether they're male or female. Yeah. The incels are definitely expecting different things based on who people are uh, and they are segmenting real life into very restrictive templates right which they call the different pills so this is based a bit on the matrix theory you know you take the red pill or the blue pill so there's red pill philosophy and then there's black pill theory so the black pill is is they consider it to be the real truth of course it gets further and further away from that as they go into conspiracy theories type of thing are we in a bit about so black pill theory is the idea that sex is a game that's rigged from birth right so the idea we were talking about a little bit earlier where it's it's down to your genetics hmm. if you don't have the right set of genetics then basically you can forget and remember that this is about sex not love yeah that you can forget having sex with a stacy the top tier hmm. of woman Female, femoid. Femoid. Femoid, brilliant. Super, super hot for that. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah, basically you're always going to be passed over by people who are in a better genetic situation. So what that does is it actually limits an individual on a couple of fronts, doesn't it? Because mm. it's that idea that your genetics have determined your life. Yeah. And therefore there is no need for you to do any kind of self-improvement. There is no need for you to invest in yourself as a person. There's no need for you to really try because yeah. the game's already set. You don't have the yeah. cheekbones. So you, you might as well drop out and sit in your basement and not pursue experiences. And it also limits down the reality to where sex is the only important factor of yes. a person's entire life. Yes. Whereas actually, I mean, I enjoy sex, but it's a component part. It's not the entire thing no no. there are lots of other bits to life climbing a mountain Mm. you know playing an instrument which which might also all lead to sex because it makes you more attractive so it it does it puts this real uh, unhealthy focus on that act and that one aspect of human life which also just precludes real connection because again it makes it just about how people look so there is no value to a woman apart from her hotness and whether she'll have sex with you. But you see, her other I, qualities don't matter. I think I think I'm going to go back a little bit to to um, Freud and the '60s, and I think we've created a culture, um, whether we like it or not, where the Freudian concept that sexual repression makes you mad is embedded in our culture. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, Freud was talking about himself, but I think yeah, that, that gets lost. Yeah. But but but, um, when you look at things like people like Lang in the sixties, they were basically saying that anything that prevents someone from achieving their sexual release will make them mad. Okay. Right now, this is a. This this is a kind of discussion which you could have in a university 
senior common room and probably wouldn't do any harm to anyone, right? But but like a virus, it's okay in the lab, but you open the window and let it out and you see what happens. And because it requires on a great deal of context and and some understanding that we're not talking about practical application here. This is a theory of how brains work, right? Yeah. Yeah, but 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 I don't think it's a long way to go from if you do not achieve sexual release, you will become mad, to saying sexual release is a human right, because without that, right. I would be driven mad. Yeah? Yeah. And um, so and then we're into a whole world of problems. <laughs> and then we're into a whole world of problems. So we've got men saying, I demand a Stacey because... Come and satisfy me immediately. Otherwise, I will be mad. And... Mm. Um, if I am, uh, you know, this is my, it is my right not to be driven mad. And so somebody has to engage in this um, to um, to deliver me from this potential threat of madness. So, yes. I, I, I mean, I, I'd like to go back more to... But what I would counter to that is, okay, so do some sit-ups, get a nice haircut, learn to be funny and go and deliver yourself from it. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but my point is, my point is, I would say um, that if we, if we, we assume that that as a theory has been tried and tested and it hasn't actually worked terribly well. And we go back to an idea, um, again, this is a slightly cheesecloth wearing type of 1970s view but that it's a form of ultimate connection. Mm-hmm. And so you get that connection when you, that connection will only happen when you feel really connected to somebody. Yes. And in order to create that connection, you're going to have to um, put yourself close to some women. Yeah. find one that you like and who likes you yeah and, and so, that means taking an emotional risk doesn't it so yes, it does. if you can put yourself in a situation where you are just angry with women and you're just throwing yeah. out hate you aren't happily satisfied but you are also protecting yourself from that yeah. potential threat of rejection or negative emotion or even just depths of emotion in a positive way yeah. yes it yes is, it's kind of um a passive aggression anyway it's it's, it's self-protective because if I if if I don't expose myself to this experience then I don't have to suffer the consequences of that I would say that it is or here's a brave statement perhaps I don't know I would say that the incel is the product of a coddling culture that the idea that the idea that a child for example should be protected from all experiences I was talking to a young. Uh, I've woman. come up against that when teaching yeah. pony club. Yeah, I've. I, I was talking to a young woman yesterday who grew up. Uh, she's what is she? She's about twenty three, twenty four. She grew up in Cornwall, and she said, um, "Great childhood. Go out the door, you know, scramble down the cliff, bring, take some sandwiches, whatever, live your mm. life." And she was saying that she um, would look for. A situation to bring up her own children in um where she can give them freedom so that they do come home sometimes with with bloody knees and stung by a wasp yeah so and- so it's something that i've come up against with with teaching 
pony club uh, and, and being around kids where there is a certain type of parent that wants to protect their child from any and all negative hmm. experiences, be that physical or emotional. Yeah. Whereas actually those negative experiences are largely what we grow and learn from. I mean, it's yeah. the old trope. We all know the phrase that you learn more from failure than you do from success. Yes. And success and, and nice experiences are very good at consolidating and validating the good stuff. Yeah. But the real learning comes from the negative. And, and I understand also why that's difficult because I mean, I've only been step parenting for a few months. Hmm. But I've come up against now some situations where you, you know there's some behavior you have to correct. Yeah you know that that's going to cause a negative reaction in the child and that that is necessary. Yeah. You know it's the right thing to do, but it's deeply unpleasant to do it. Yes. Horrible. It is horrible. It's horrible. And then the guilt and the hand-wringing, and did I do that right? So I I also understand why people shy away from that, but that doesn't make make it the right thing to do. It's going to quote Dumbledore now, you can do what's easy or you can do what's right. Yes, yes. And there's a difference. but, But you see, I would say... This is partly um, another aspect of the pathologization of, of normal human existence, which, yes. which, which, and and I'm sorry, Freud, you're going to get another couple of barrels. Here we go. Because actually, I didn't spend any time in my childhood thinking about having sex with my dad. Yeah, I liked him an awful. I I liked him an awful lot. Yeah. Um. I certainly admire aspects of him when I see it in other people. I don't look for a sexual partner who's like my dad, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So we've we've been told that there are things, and this is this is this is the the concatenation of various circumstances. And it's good to see that there are now loud voices talking sense and truth. Yeah. We, we have been told that bringing a child up is so incredibly difficult that you have only to shout at them once too loudly and they become a serial killer. Oh, that's just not true. And you have only to um, fail to allow them to draw on the walls and they will become an incel or whatever, yeah? And actually... The reality is most people do their best and most kids are kind of all right. Yeah. And and what um but but because we're told that we've we've been told that oh you need to be regressing to your childhood to find out what the traumas are about the terrible things that happened to you. Most people didn't have terrible things happen to them. Most people did have some things they didn't like especially, yeah. Um uh and most people had some fears. Mm-hmm. I was afraid of a of a drain pipe that had a piece of sacking over it that I thought was like a monster, and right. I would avoid going going right. past it if I and could. And our parents all made mistakes and maybe didn't handle some things the right way. Yeah. But but guess what? That that is just life. I mean, as an adult, I, I make mistakes and I don't handle things the right way. Um, I, I think if you perceive that to be trauma, then what that person is lacking is some empathy. Yeah. For the situation that their parent was in at that time. Yeah. And so my so my point is, my point is people are now terrified that they're going to make the wrong decisions about parenting their child. Sure. And and I think part of the judgment culture that we have now yes, doesn't help with that yes. either, because failure is unacceptable and forgiveness is unattainable. Yeah. And 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 another thing is um I hate the expression adulting. Yeah. Um because you know what? Growing up to be an adult is not optional. 
And what I do see sometimes is um, it's, it is absolutely horrible to have to tell off a child that you love. Yeah, I, d- I dislike it intensely. But, it's but, vile. but then they're going to grow up to be vile if you don't. But, so. but here's some other things that are also horrible. Yeah, paying your income tax, looking after an elderly relative. Yeah, um, traveling a long yeah. distance to see someone you know is very sick. Yeah, right. The world is full of difficult experiences that you have to do and to assume that being a parent just allows you to have the lovely fun stuff um is it just it's a category error about what that's not how it works and and also if you if you don't parent your child then the world will parent them a lot harder yes and it is much better that you set a good example and call out the bad behavior at home than a judge does it yes exactly this is this is absolutely the thing. I mean, I, I I've probably talked about this book before, but I really really enjoyed a book called The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Yes, and, I mean to read it. You've mentioned this. And before. one of one of the things about that is he's talking about. He says we talk a lot about the um, the deficiencies of love, not loving your child enough. Perhaps we don't talk about loving your child in an inappropriately coddling way or, or in an unhelpful way an unhelpful way yeah. yeah um and and so you don't want them to get to the point where because you see i would say that the incel thing um is to me part of the thing about an incel thing is it is incredibly adolescent and normally if you listen to 15 year old boys talking um, there's a dreadful thing they say every hole's a goal, where they're just trying to get... Tell me you've never been anywhere near a girl without telling me you've never been anywhere near a girl. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and they are desperately trying to have any kind of physical encounter with a girl. But that's, exper- that's just yes, exploring but, but identity, so, isn't it? So, having a, you know, play so my point is that is a point at which they then they then pass through and they realize that ah look okay yeah yeah ah well that's his that's his sister's friend who he got to talk to right so what so they normally go through this phase and i think one of the things about incels is because potentially they've been raised in this non-challenging environment they are allowed a lack of realistic feedback. Yeah, sure. they're allowed to retain themselves, to hold themselves in that fifteen-year-old never yeah. had a girl. But that's where the entitlement bit comes yeah. in. Is that it's, it's thinking that you ought to just be given yeah. a creme de la creme oh, woman yeah. without yeah. being a creme de la creme man yourself? I I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah, have they? Do they ever talk about the mechanism with which a woman would be provided? No, we're not practical like that. We're not practical like that. Um, apart from some, so so there are a couple of things. So I've, I've got a question for you, and then I'm going to talk yeah. a little bit about manifestos. Yeah, because there are some interesting psychological aspects of this, which, which yeah. tend to be quite commonly represented. Yeah. So while I'm not a fan of pathologizing normal human experience i think that we can sometimes use these templates as as predictors 
yeah and also ways of explaining behavior but then potentially as ways of addressing them as yeah. well so i mean the, yeah the key thing they're big fans of categorizing people based on their appearance they see women as goals not people mm-hmm. as, as an object basically as something to be attained but then they also see women as unjustly powerful right which is an oxymoron yeah so which yeah. one am i yes am i unjustly powerful or am i an object for you to obtain well, possibly an unjustly powerful Because object. I can go and... Yeah. yeah. Potentially, yeah, yeah, like a really expensive Pokemon card, which is just yeah. printed on paper. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, and that, and that they, they believe that men are oppressed by women, and that is the, one of the parts I think could potentially be a little bit true. Yeah. But what I'm going to ask you is, and this is a question around aggression. Yeah. So, so humans are a fairly rare predator in that we have proactive aggression yeah as well as reactive aggression yes yes. it's not it's not just humans that have this but in the animal kingdom you'd largely see aggression used for a reason yeah whereas humans have violence for violence's sake or aggression Mm. for aggression's sake right because we could be a particularly unpleasant monkey like that would you categorize incels as proactively or reactively aggressive Oh, very, very good question. Um, I would argue that to some extent, they are so much a product of their environment that it's difficult to see their aggression as anything other than a reaction to that environment yeah i agree because it's not based on truth is it it's based on um something that they've been told from the internet yeah exactly exactly and i just wanted to say by the way when i said i thought that maybe benefits weren't helpful to them i wasn't saying they should be meant to they should be starved although there might be some argument for that what i would be saying is that i think that someone who finds himself in that situation needs to be seriously challenged in a way that forces them to change their lives, to go yes. out and do stuff. And that would be a therapeutic intervention rather than a punitive intervention. Boot camp. Yeah, yeah. But 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 I think um I think there's an issue about aggression because I think we are we I don't think we talk about aggression in a way that is helpful to people to help people to manage it because we say to you well, no, because it's again it's one of those traits in men that we condemn on the one hand but then desire on the other yes yes but so we want them to be cutthroat and ruthless and yeah. display leadership but then the traits that also come with that are that are then condemned and are unacceptable yeah. so that, that's one of the ways in which i think that, that in, in today's society there are some some ways in which men can't win yeah yeah and and if you feel that you can't win um you tend to or you can just tend to tip the whole board up and and say to yourself um look however well i play this i will not win um and again you see i i see a lot of what i would call half digested pseudoscience in this because the idea that your genes I mean, I was I was sitting next to a friend today and um, she was doing a, a, a charitable project and I was going, you've only got three tickets left. You ought to really 
let's let's ask the people on the next table. They'll buy them. And she's going, oh, no, no, no. Look, I've put it on, on Facebook. I've told everyone about it. I just can't bear the selling, right? And her husband is the best seller that you've ever met. Right. He could sell ice to Eskimos. And I was, I said, oh, this is genetics working at its best, I said, chaps. Look at this. You two, one of you who's almost pathologically selling and one who's almost pathologically not able to sell, right. have found each other and and mixed your genetic stock so that your girls have got a fairly normal attitude from what I've seen towards selling. They're not always trying to auction something off, and neither mm. are they too shy to 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 ask someone to buy a raffle ticket. And so I, what I'm saying is, I think that I think the genetics, you know, that's my joking talking about genetics. But I think the idea of genetics is deeply embedded in people, and they and they think the genetics. Um, they they think about genetics in a way like Calvinists used to think about predestination. It takes your agency away. Yeah. And if you yep. think, yes, yeah, if you think you haven't got any agency, you you tend to be a, a strange creature, or you decide to opt out of it. Yes, because exactly. I think that 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 idea that the genetics and it's 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 pre-designed the game is already lost because you weren't given the right jawline yeah therefore you now don't need to try yeah also then creates a, a, a special kind of anger so i'm going to read you a bit here from elliot rogers manifesto right. um, manifestos among the more extreme breaches of the incel community are quite common they're also fairly common among serial killers are very popular with forensic psychologists because we get into the mind of the writer yeah. a little bit so this little snippet from from elliot rogers kind of tells us a lot of what we need to know about him so he says humanity all of my suffering on this world has been at the hands of humanity particularly women all i ever wanted was to fit in and live a happy life amongst humanity but i was cast out and rejected forced to endure an existence of loneliness and insignificance all because of the females of the human species were incapable of seeing the value in me. Wow. Mm. Mama's boy. Yeah, right. That, so, uh, that's my I, first reaction. I, I don't think there's, I don't think we can ignore the link between the, the very privileged upbringing. Yeah. And, and the person that is around here now. L.A. Roger killed a lot of people and injured a lot of people. Yeah. I think he would have found a reason to be angry if yes. everything had worked out fine for him because yeah. you, you don't just do that without yeah. having another kind of psychological makeup that mm. maybe sets you outside. And that, that's an extreme level of narcissism yeah. that we're seeing there and that he clearly thinks that he was deserving of inclusion, deserving of sex. He's looking for someone to blame for the things mm. that have happened because... You know, but by the accounts of reading the accounts that people gave of him in police statements after the fact, he was highly obnoxious, very rude, mm. didn't socialize well. Yeah. So it's clear here that his version of reality and what actually went on are not anywhere near each other. I, I and he also a... felt entitled to revenge. I had a very serious, the older I get, I realised that some of the conversations I had with my father when I was small were very peculiar conversations. Right. So I'm going to share one with you now. Um, he said, you know there aren't, my, my father said, 
I was about eight at the time, you know there aren't enough resources in the world for everybody, don't you? And I said, yes. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, taught by justice and peace nuns. We were yeah. all praying for a better harvest in some benighted town, place or another. Anyway, and he said, and you know that human beings are, he wouldn't have used the word hardwired, but he would have said human, human beings are by their instincts likely to try and get most of the resources and leave none for you. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand that. And he said, this is why you have to be civil and polite to people because the natural state of humanity, humanity is that they will kill you for scarce resources. <laughs> so the only way to win the game of life is to remember that and remember that you are always trying to persuade people to share some of the scarce resources with you because they value you enough because of how you treat them. And okay. although that is a uh, peculiar thing to say to an eight-year-old child, right? Yes, but it's not a bad lesson. No, uh, it's I not mean, a bad lesson. You know, the, and, the value of fitting in with people and being well-liked. And, you know. and I wonder whether Elliot's problem um sounds like he had a, a number of problems obviously but yeah, his problem yeah. his problem is that his expectation of what humanity would do for him and be for him yeah is not based on any idea of competition and, and isn't linked to his output it, yeah and isn't yeah and it's not look elliot um if you um help us we'll share this fox that we've killed with you yeah there's none yeah. of that going on um it's it's all everything must be given to elliot yeah yes and if not that he has the entitlement to destroy yeah if it's not given then you might as well not exist that i can take you out so the, the reason i come on to manifestos is that there yeah. are some of these traits that come through that, that are common so i also have a little quote from eric harris who was one of the columbine shooters Right. And I'm not going to turn this into a true crime podcast. No, no, just, no, no. It but highlights some similarities in the yeah. thought. Okay. And he said, I have a goal to destroy as much as possible, and I must not be sidetracked by my feelings of sympathy, mercy, or any of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so there is this real theme of destruction, and, yeah. and there is this real theme of this one-way experience with the world i i tell you where i see it i tell you who this is this is milton satan this is this is i want to rule i yeah. want to decide how my world is yeah yeah and if yeah. if i do not have dominion over everything then it is how dominance and control are dominance big themes, and think. control and no um no sense of um you know the idea that you have the power to destroy and yeah. i see i see of um in a lot of these discussions i see um very unfashionable deadly sin of pride yeah but rather than cuz proper humility i think isn't being like uriah heap um Proper humility is understanding who you are and what contribution you can make and yes. where you fit in. Yeah. Yes. And so 
if you have um, somebody who is so unself-aware that they think that a Stacy will just immediately give them sex. Yeah. yeah. Or should. Or should. That's because they have got a view of themselves which is totally out of whack, isn't it? Totally out of whack because it is so let's let's pretend for a moment that this thing about the genetics is true. Yeah. Okay. Let's pretend that actually only people that are genetically blessed can go on and achieve sex and breed. Yeah. And that the people that can't will just be languishing. Yeah. They are not applying their own logic to themselves because they still think that us females should be distributed evenly yeah. among them. But you've just told me that you're genetically inferior. Yeah. So why do you think that you deserve that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it's a contradiction in thought, isn't it? And and what I also see is is that what they seem to be assuming, and this is where I I'm s I know you don't entirely agree with me, but this is where I do That's okay. I do think that porn has a big part to play about this because where are they getting their ideas about human interactions if it isn't from porn? Because it isn't from the forums. From the forums. Well, from the no. forums, yeah. <laughs> but 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 bear with. But 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 my my point is I was listening to somebody talking on a history podcast the other day about the inherent instability of harem societies. Because what the incels are effectively saying is that the chads have harems. Yes, and all the states walking around. to have uh, a fairer distribution of women. Yeah? yeah. Now, evolutionarily, harem societies don't last. And, yeah. the reason, and the reason they don't last is because the incels in those circumstances rise up. And they... There are a number of you know there are a number of sort of long-standing historical problems that come up in all harem societies. Men are not willing to fight for a world where they can't breed. No. So if all the good-looking women have been taken to the Sultan, they don't care. They won't fight. They'll stay in their own village in the you know in the in the, the Ural Mountains or whatever. And um, so if the if the Chads were creating a harem society and i don't think there's any information that leads us to believe that our society is actually really being governed by chads either that's it's not just, no absolutely it isn't it's, i it's, mean it's, you know sure ugly men rule the world no, exactly 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 george soros is not a babe, babe no. nor is bill gates and and so what the, famous what, stud Alistair Campbell? Yeah, what they're what, what they yeah. failing to do is they're failing to use any of their critical um, faculties about the world about them, and yeah. they've created what might be described as a fantasy harem society. Because well, it is, and also my other point is that harem societies fail because women aren't objects and can't be hoarded like beanie babies. Is yes. the other point to yes. make? But yes, yeah, no, no, they have. It's so. They are coming from a place that is detached from reality, yes. harping on about a world that is detached from reality. Yes, absolutely. That's just not what's happening. Yeah. And that, so I, I kind of wonder, I sometimes wonder, um, and this is where I am convinced that um, smothering mothers are a part of this. Because if you were just a normal kid 
and you're in your normal class, school, there might well be a couple of good-looking boys in your class. They're not necessarily knobs. No. Could be knobs. They could be knobs. And if they are knobs, their good-lookingness, and especially if they're good at sport, will allow them to be more obnoxious than they would be. Oh, I've ignored red flags. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you have as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but... I've also met some very nice looking people, men, who were really nice as well. I've yeah? got one in the front row right now. Yeah. And um so I'm just wondering again, the there's two sorts of, of, of hatred. So I suppose I'm saying, imagine the 14-year-old incel who's in school. And what are his experiences, both with boys who are better looking than him and women, yeah, that lead him to have this incredibly negative approach? Well, I think a lot of it actually comes down to a trait that we see across humans quite a bit, and it manifests in different ways, depending on which sector you're dealing with. But I think that there is quite a common human tendency to want to blame something else for your problems. Yes. Oh, God, yes. Yes. Now, now people might choose a diagnosis. They might choose a a certain aspect of identity politics. They might choose anything. And I I think sometimes these people choose women. Yep. To blame for their issues. Yeah. Rather than take accountability and actually have a real realistic look about who you are and what your contribution is. and, And this, in a way, a very, very sad part of this is this. If we believe the Solzhenitsyn thing, which I sort of do, I think, which yeah. is the love between good and evil runs through every human's heart. Yes. Right? So we are always engaged in a heroic battle Yep. to try and not be the worst person that we could be. And well, try- and that's why, that, that's, why that's the, the general model of storytelling for humans, right? It comes down to the battle of good and evil, and that's because yeah. that's so inherently relatable. Yeah. And so instead of instead of uh instead of assuming that all the wrongs that have been done to you are all done by external forces. Yeah. Which is not to say that wrongs cannot be done to you, because sometimes wrongs are done to you by external Yes, but that doesn't give anyone a pass. No. But if but if you instead of saying everything that has been done to me is not my fault, you started to say did I make some unwise choices? Did I fail? Mm-hmm. And and I'm a I'm a particular one for, you know, when you say my my fault, my most grievous fault for what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Yeah. I think this is, I think, I think this is one of the messages that is really important to understand what maturity means is recognising that sometimes the things you did wrong were the things you failed to do as much as the things you did. Absolutely. Inaction can be just as bad. And so Um, your incel who fails to to take the self-improving steps that are needed, they are... Well, because that is what the culture is, isn't it? It, It's a culture of inaction and blame. Yeah. As as opposed to doing the work on yourself because self-improvement is frequently hard. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending road. 
yeah. it's a lot of effort and it means that you have to confront some real home truths yeah and you have to start from a place of reality yeah whereas if you go from blame you can start from a place of fantasy yes. and base your ideology around that yes yes exactly 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 and no. what you've just described there actually about that isn't that the the value of confession absolutely and absolutely. confession is really the earliest form of therapy yes exactly. of sitting down with someone and saying this is what i've done or haven't and yeah. all right 20 hail marys doesn't do jack but the point is that you've owned up to yourself but but the but the point the point is and, and i think um this is something that people um fail to understand is that you've when you're in that box or we're still on the plastic chair looking at something <laughs> way worse way worse funds uh, being not what they were <laughs> yeah um luckily that's kind of gone back now the, the, the box is back i think the box the, is back good okay um but you will not get that absolution until you can convince the priest that you will not do it again or at least will try not to do it again right so it's not a kind of i've got chocolate on my jumper i put it in with a biological washing powder it's not that at all it's i intend to never try to try never to buy chocolate again yeah, yeah? and okay yeah. when you come in again with a jumper with chocolate on there is some celestial personal available yeah but you're not given that celestial personal until you've said i'm going to try and cut down on the chocolate yeah or at least make it 75 percent cacao yeah exactly exactly none of your milky bars Come exactly on. <laughs> exactly none of your milk none of your milky bars listen we have been talking for nearly two hours two hours we should stop really <laughs> and i wanted to kind of um suggest that um one of the things that comes out of this discussion which i think is so interesting is what do we need to be okay oh. as people Next right? time, then. Yeah, I think that's I and I because we've I, got the physical, the emotional. Yeah, and and, and what do we wise, what psychological? I suppose because because um, this came to my mind at the speech here because I was thinking I could see this as a flawed but functioning society, but it is functioning. Yeah, yeah? and we are a lot of we spend a lot of time. Uh, certainly a lot of cultural effort towards saying how things in our current society in various aspects of our current society isn't working well and we perhaps don't sit down to say well okay we can knock this down we can knock that down and it's more the question I would ask is what do we need to build in its place or what do we need to retain because what things are good for us mm. What makes mm. us thrive? Um, and lots of things come to the top of my head, and I think that we should go in next time. I think we should with I that, think, yeah, uh, because that's that's a whole bundle of interesting. It, it is. Well, yeah. Ad, this has been absolutely brilliant. This is great. Two hours of class, like, yeah, absolutely know. fantastic. I've I've loved every minute, every minute, and now I've got a hardworking man that I need to cook a steak for. So Excellent. I will love and leave. Excellent. 
Well, it's very good to talk to you, and you too. We'll hopefully, be a, um be milling the air again very soon. Yeah, I won't leave it six weeks this time. I promise not to die. Br- brilliant. Okay, right. cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.